Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. You all may not know this, but Lauren is a podcaster, videographer, and editor by day, but a DIY home improvement expert by night. Yeah, so I have an idea for an HGTV show. So if anybody's listening, has the power. I do the home renovations and decorating by myself, and I also produce the show. <laughs> so wait, I don't understand how it would work though. It's like you're holding the camera, and uh, I, don't, like, I haven't thought that much. Uh, but like I was the like, guy in the wilderness yeah. who also is like showing people how to survive while filming. Himself. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You just need like a lot of GoPros set up around your house. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it would work. Like, and I was like thinking, like producing homes or something mm-hmm. could be the title. Mm. Producing so. homes. Oh, I get it. That's, yeah, yeah, that's catchy. Yeah. All right. Well, I replaced I replaced a sink. I took out a pipe. And I put it back in, and it works with no leaks. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Props. And, yeah. like, you're moving strategically through your house, right? Yeah. I mm-hmm. started with the laundry room, and now I'm on the half bath. So I feel like now you're, uh, like, the scene from Parks and Rec walking through Home Depot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> with Ron Swanson. And you're like, yeah, can I help you? I know more than you. I can just picture Lauren <laughs> pushing a cart through Home Depot. I know more than you. That's me. That's literally me and Best Buy. They come up to me, and they're like, can I help you? I'm like, no. <laughs> but here, I hope it was the opposite. It's me like going like two aisles and call my dad and be like, Dad, <laughs> what's the difference between wood screws and metal screws? What? I I don't know. I've called my dad so many times from the from the aisles of Home Depot. Mm-hmm. Like, is it really going to matter if this tile is a quarter of an inch smaller than like what I measured it for? How much grout am I going to put in? Like, can you explain the theory of grout to me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like it blows your mind that they know all this. Yeah. Because I'm like, very impressive. Dads. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this lovely third voice that you're oh. hearing today <laughs> is our friend Mallory Quigley, who's the director. Mallory Carroll. Oh, yes. Excuse me. Recently married. Congrats. <laughs> Thank you. Mallory Carroll. <laughs> Thank you, Virginia. Yes, of course. And Mallory, you are the communications director for the Susan B. Anthony List. You all do so much awesome pro-life work. So thanks for being here today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Actually, the story about having Mallory on. So we, we've talked about it forever about, I mean, Mallory's awesome coming on. And it was at March for Life. We were at this like busy tent and people were running and we yeah. saw it for a second. I was like, oh my gosh, we need to make it happen. And then... I'm it glad was it's happening. Such a fantastic March for Life this year, possibly the last March with oh. Roe versus Wade mm-hmm. hanging over our heads. I mean, just think about that for a second. You know, the January 2023 could be a whole new ball game. I mean, June 2022, you know, we could mm-hmm. the court could have some very exciting news for us this summer. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's just exciting. It is exciting. And we're going to talk more about that. So, Lauren, go ahead and let us know what we have. <laughs> Virginia, keep on us on track. <laughs> Time limits here. <laughs> Up on today's Problematic Women, we break down what you need to know about chemical abortions and how the Supreme Court's decision on the Dobbs case might affect the demand for chemical abortions. Plus, Apple is rolling out a new pregnant man emoji, and some small businesses are standing up against the vaccine mandates requirement in cities like D.C. We share the story of one struggling restaurant owner. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it.
This year, 2022, is arguably the most significant year in the fight for life since Roe v. Wade passed in 1973. The federal right to abortion could be overturned this summer. And if that happens, abortion rights will go back to the states to decide their own laws on the issue of life. There have been a lot of changes to the abortion industry since Roe v. Wade became law 49 years ago. Abortion is no longer, quote, safe, legal, and rare. Over 63 million babies have been killed by abortion. And one of the newer ways the abortion industry is pushing killing these babies is through chemical abortions. So, Mallory, you work in the pro-life space all the time. Mm-hmm. Can you explain what a chemical abortion actually is? Yes. So the abortion industry is calling this medication abortion because that sounds so much better. But basically it is a two-pill regimen that are given to women to basically do DIY <laughs> at-home abortions. So you're sending women home with these drugs. One um, starves the baby, the first pill does, and then the second is taken to um, induce labor mm-hmm. so that the 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 small unborn baby is delivered, usually, you know, at home on a toilet. Like it's – this is very traumatic. Anybody who's seen the film Unplanned, which documents Abby Johnson's story, former Planned Parenthood um, clinic manager who also um, – has undergone abortions herself, including one chemical abortion. It's very accurately depicted in that film. The the blood, you know, the the pain that women experience. But this is where the industry is moving because uh, states are increasingly passing regulations on abortion facilities. And they see the writing on the wall with the Supreme Court considering this Mississippi case uh, and the 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 wide-ranging impact that that could have, and they're increasingly, as an industry, turning to chemical abortion. It allows them to maintain, uh, to continue to do abortions at significantly reduced overhead costs. You don't have to have a surgeon. You don't have, if you don't have a surgeon, you don't have to worry about the clinic regulations. You don't have to worry about the admitting privileges. All of the tactics that pro-life legislators have taken in the last few years mm. to try and regulate around surgical abortion you don't have to deal with any of those things if you're just sending women home to do these abortions themselves. Um, so it's really disturbing. The majority of abortions at this point in our country are taking place um, via chemical abortion. And it's a, it's a chemical coat hanger is what it is. I mean, it's, it's very unregulated. ER-related visits for chemical abortion are up 500% since the early 2000s. Whoa. And the FDA is totally abdicating its titular responsibilities here. You know, they're supposed to be in charge of food and drug administration. Um, they're making it increasingly uh, easy for the abortion industry to sell these pills and um, at great co- cost to the health and safety of women. So it's really disturbing. And a majority of Americans do not approve of chemical abortion. 63%, that's the latest number from the KFC um, Maris poll from January. So as people learn more about what chemical abortion is, they're increasingly turned off by the idea, as they should be. Well, I'm glad you brought up the FDA because not only have they been making it easier for people to get chemical abortions, they're now allowing women to get these pills by mail. Yes. Yeah. And this is very uh, topical right now as the Senate is – Considering President Biden's nominee, Robert Califf, 
for the FDA position. Um, in 2016, he, under his guidance, so he has had this position once before under President Obama. In 2016, the FDA stopped requiring adverse event reporting for chemical abortion short of death. So the adverse events reports, these drugs have a black box warning mm-hmm. label. They're they're dangerous. There's previously been, you know, a series of requirements for their dispensation. But um, in 2016, the FDA said, okay, we're going to stop collecting data on the bad reactions that women have with chemical abortion unless they die. So they're they're not keeping track of hemorrhaging, um, failure to diagnose ectopic pregnancies, life-threatening mm-hmm. emergencies that that women are landing in ER ER rooms for. So um, this is the same guy that President Biden now wants to be in charge of FDA after they've already weakened these restrictions on chemical abortion because of COVID, <laughs> the the great excuse for everything mm-hmm. now. Um, you know, it's it's an excuse for everything from very poor customer service to, you know, uh, um, chemical abortion. Now the focus on telemedicine, pills by mail. Um, the abortion industry wants to turn every mailbox essentially into an abortion facility. And so that's one of the things that we have to be on guard against in the upcoming months, you know, especially with this nominee um being voted on potentially by the Senate um, for the FDA. This is they're in charge of food and drug regulation, and this is a major area of concern for the pro life movement. Yeah, it's really frightening. And gosh, hearing you say that um, that the goal here is to turn mailboxes essentially into yeah. a Planned Parenthood, like that's frightening, right? And how do you like how how can we as the pro life movement even go about? tackling that. Yeah. Like, that feels very almost elusive yeah. in a way. Well, there's definitely multiple um, responses that are needed, right? So pro-life states are taking action mm-hmm. to pre-butt the anticipated action from the FDA, and they're putting in state-specific laws and regulations surrounding chemical abortion and its distribution by mail. South Dakota, um, Governor Kristi Noem just um put in a series of executive actions limiting the um, extent to which um, the abortion industry can proliferate chemical abortion. Planned Parenthood is now suing the state of South Dakota. So there's these uh, these executive actions that governors can take, that legislators can take. Like culturally, I think we need to increase awareness as a pro-life movement for abortion pill reversal mm-hmm. and the danger um, to women who follow through with the, you know, with all the steps of the regimen. So I think making sure women know, like, if you take the first drug, there is still time for you to reverse your decision. Um, Google abortion pill reversal. There's incredible pro-life doctors who are saving the lives of women from uh, these horrific potentially life-threatening complications, but also saving the lives of their children. Uh, and, you know, people just need to know, like, it, it, there's a stigma, obviously, to abortion. And there, it's interesting to me that the industry which wants to shout your abortion is now also trying to, like, push women into bathrooms alone mm-hmm. to handle these situations, like, on their by themselves. Um, you know, it's like you can't have both ways. 
it's either it's there's either a stigma about it or there's not. Um, and if it's nothing to be ashamed of, it's nothing to be concerned about. Why the secrecy? So I think as a pro life movement, we need to be very um, willing to talk about the physical repercussions of chemical abortion, what that looks like, how hard it is for a woman's body, and to come alongside her and support her, especially women who have already experienced this mm-hmm. and who are in a lot of pain. And we had to remember um, the the merciful healing side of the movement because oftentimes women who have experienced abortion and especially chemical abortion are some of our loudest advocates for life because they can speak from experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think my concern is, okay, it's it's so exciting to look at Roe v. Wade might be overturned, mm-hmm. but are, are we looking at chemical abortions just really increasing because that's then going to be the push from Planned Parenthood and it's a lot harder to regulate what's going on in the mail? Well, Virginia, you're, that is exactly the problem is that we're on the cusp of the court taking the handcuffs off the states, allowing them to pass laws that reflect the values of the people that live there shutting down abortion facilities and surgical abortions, but we have these international bad actors that are mailing chemical abortion drugs in from India and China and Mm -hmm. totally outside the scope of the FDA also. Mm -hmm. So it is a huge danger. And so I think raising awareness, a lot of pro-life people, perhaps listeners to this podcast who are involved in the movement, don't realize the threat that is coming. And it's really important that, you know, we remember regardless of what the Supreme Court decides in June with Dobbs, it really just ushers in the next phase of the pro-life movement, both at the state level and the the 50-state track that we are going to have to pursue and, of course, federal legislation as well. But the um, the shift in the abortion industry's mentality as they try and increase the percentage of abortions that are being done via medication. Hmm. And it's so frustrating because th- these are the group that's like, quote-unquote, pro-women, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they want women. I mean, think we've all had bad periods and you're in your bed and you're like, oh, my gosh, I just want to die. And can you imagine having a period? I mean, taking what, the awful thing that you just did to the baby aside, you have a really awful feeling in your body. You are alone in your own house. And, and that's supposed to somehow be empowering to that person? This is the lie of abortion. That it, that it is empowering, that we've, you know, by by breaking the rights of one group of human beings, the unborn, taking their lives, that we are somehow advancing ourselves. It's it's a lie straight from the pit of hell. And it, it <laughs> we've got to speak out against it. I mean, and you're 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 so right. I mean, it's it's the opposite of empowerment, you know, that you've got to um, destroy what is otherwise like a natural part of your body, you know, like a and a natural function of a, of a woman's body in order to achieve some other good, whether it's, you know, career goals or other relational goals or whatever it may be, you know, like it's, it makes me sad when you see these Hollywood actresses, you know, say like they wouldn't be here without having exercised the right to choose, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just, it's, it's so damaging, I think to women that we would, be encouraged to cut off a natural part of our body's ability to create and bear life for whatever extraneous thing um, you know is deemed more important at the time. And how dehumanizing is it to think of 
Because, I mean, as terrible as going to the abortion clinic is and, and getting the abortion, you still had to go and you had to sit in the scary chair and it, it was like an actual procedure. But now we're literally just saying like, no, it's OK. Just take these pills and you'll be fine. Like we're literally just they're trying to make it easier and easier and easier. And I'm glad you said the pits of hell because that's really what it feels like. And it's it's just uh, I'm going to say, you know, use the word frustrating again, that the, the left just continues to get away with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they the pro-life movement has. We only have to gain from the truth, you mm-hmm. know, and the like shining the light on what abortion is, on how it affects women, on how it destroys their children. We have everything to gain from the truth being out there. And the pro-abortion movement, the lie, they th- thrive in darkness and in secrecy. So yeah. you're isolating women by keeping them at home. Think about how dark it's been during this pandemic, mm-hmm. you know, people being at home, like the level of psychosis, you know, that's resulted in some ways from people just being so insular and not being able to get out and talk to their friends. But but think about like, yeah, even when you're going to an abortion facility, there's sidewalk counselors. Mm-hmm. There's other people there to bear witness to the life that's growing inside the womb, to the harm that is being done to the mother by the abortion industry. And they're even – it's another – like sinister way that the abortion industry is cutting women off from support systems is by, you know, stay where you are. Like, we'll send you these pills, deal with it. And they don't want to deal with it. And when you think about it this way, states have been trying to pass, you know, these continuity of care laws to ensure that abortion doctors, if you can even call them doctors, you know, that they have admitting privileges at these local hospitals so that if something goes wrong Mm -hmm. and in our country we're one of seven that allows abortion all the way up until the moment of birth so we're doing these extreme late-term abortions oftentimes there are medical complications that there is a continuity of care that this this woman is needed to be admitted to a local hospital that the surrounding doctors know why she's there which clinic she came from who was doing the procedure so they can get information from that person he he or she can carry on into the the new environment of the hospital where the woman is needing care. Um, The abortion industry hates these types of laws. They hate the admitting privileges. They hate the clinic regulation. They hate anything that is is, um, seen as a barrier Mm -hmm. to accessing abortion as if this is the highest good, not women's health and safety. I mean, the same yeah. thing happened. This is what happened in Pennsylvania with the Kermit Gosnell trial. And it, remember, it was a pro-choice Republican governor, Tom Ridge, who for 18 years, the state health department did not inspect abortion facilities in the state of Pennsylvania mm. because they thought just inspecting the abortion facilities would be that that was somehow putting up a barrier to women accessing care. <laughs> Then you think about what happened inside that horrific yeah. House of Horrors. It's it's horrific. Yeah, like you, know? you say. I mean, it, yeah, it, it it is a great lie, and the lie that they tout is we care about women, mm-hmm. we're here to protect women, we want to remove all the barriers so that women have easy access. The bottom line is they want to remove all the barriers to their finances. Exactly, they want more money, and if something gets in the way of them getting more money, they're going to attack it. Well, Mallory, before we we have a lot more to talk about. We have pregnant man emojis. We have <laughs> legal hamburgers here in D.C. But I want to make sure that you get to plug the work that you do at 
the Susan B. Anthony Foundation. Can you let us know about that? Yeah. Well, thank you, Lauren. Um, We are the nation's largest pro-life political organization um, involved in elections across the country. And our research arm, the Charlotte Lozier Institute, is doing incredible work, especially on the topic of chemical abortion putting um, research and statistics into the hands of lawmakers so that they can pass laws and enact policy that save the lives of unborn children. We've got a new paper out from the research arm by Dr. Jim Studnicki, who's a PhD, MD, lots of letters after his name um, from very prestigious Johns Hopkins University on the repercussions, the effect of chemical abortion landing women in in ERs at an alarming rate. So I invite everybody to check that out, LozierInstitute.org. And VoyageOfLife.org is also another website of ours where we're revealing to um, people, lawmakers, voters, activists, the growth of the unborn child, you know, from conception Mm. until birth Mm. and how beautiful that is, you know. And we all, you know, it's like you're looking at a video of yourself. Like we all started there. (laughs) So it's it's really an exciting time um, to be involved in the pro-life movement with uh, all the changes that we are see coming up ahead. That's so good. We'll be sure to put some of those links in our show notes so our audience can check them out. Um, We'll also leave a link to uh, the Heritage Foundation's Melanie Israel wrote a great Great paper on chemical abortions, just detailing what they are, what's involved. So we'll be sure to put that in our show notes as well. Now stay tuned because up next we are going to talk about Apple's new pregnant man emoji. But first, I want to tell you all about a great way that you can stay in the know on what the Daily Signal is covering. The Daily Signal has a very active presence on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, across all social media platforms. We're constantly posting new stories, clips from interviews, videos, and so much more across all social media platforms. The information is fun, it's easy to consume, but also factual. So make sure that you like and follow The Daily Signal on all of your favorite platforms so that you can keep up with the news that you care about. iPhone update iOS 15.4 brings with it some new emojis, including a pregnant man and a pregnant person. Mojopedia is the company behind the creation of the new emojis, and they say that the new pregnant figures, quote, may be used for representation by trans men, non-binary people, or women with short hair, though, of course, the use of these is not limited to these groups. But here's the thing. Trans men are biological women. Non-binary people who get pregnant are biological women, and of course, women with short hair are also women. <laughs> Men can't get pregnant because they don't have ovaries, they don't have a uterus. Only women have those. Apple knows this. So uh, why do they want people to think that men can get pregnant? I mean, why, why do you all think that they're pushing out these new emojis? They want to just do whatever they can to push this lie. I mean, I'm glad that the story comes right after this chemical abortion story, right? Because we talked about how women are the ones suffering alone, right? They, they are the ones who take these pills and, and are really being harmed by the abortion facility. And then they want to turn around and just be like, but yeah, but what is it really to be a woman? Like a man could be pregnant. And it just, they are doing whatever they can to just get into our minds and try to change the way that we think about 
society and, and humanity. And it, it, it makes me feel achy. Mm-hmm. And I think women have such incredible power. You know, we can carry children in our womb and bear life and, and you know, we are we are co-creators with the author of the universe to perpetuate, you know, the future. Mm-hmm. That's, That's an artsy way to put it. So I cool. love it. Well, it's just like <laughs> snaps. It's amazing. It really is amazing. I mean, and obviously, not just you know, motherhood and, and womanhood is not just a a physical thing. I think it speaks to you know, but there's something inherent about our nature. I think as women, um, even for those of us who are not you know, biological mothers of any kind, but it's just, it's, it's such, it's a uniqueness to us. Mm -hmm. And this culture that we're living in um, hates women and wants to destroy everything that is unique about women. I mean, I I was reading an article the other day about some celebrity, um, you know, who, just welcomed a baby via surrogate, you know, the, Mm -hmm. the renting of the wombs and the ovaries, like they can't have it both ways. Either these things are really important or they're not important at all. And I think we've got stuff like, yeah, the chemical abortion, we want to be able to take the lives of babies. Like, it's not a big deal. And then pregnant men emojis, we have to have this representation down to this silly little beer belly yellow man. You know, <laughs> like, it's just, it, the, the, uh, it's just insane. It's lunacy. Like, how, they're trying to have it both ways. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like so much of it comes down to this bizarre uncomfortability with the differences between men and women and that it's actually okay and natural and something to be celebrated that there are differences. And it feels like we've just kept moving further and further and further along this line uh, of of people trying to say, no, 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 there, there aren't really differences. We're all the same. It's like, no, it, it's okay. We can celebrate those differences. Like like you said, Melanie, like it's so beautiful that women have the privilege of getting to carry a baby and, and, uh, and actually like you know, being a part of creating life. And for men, obviously, like the role that men play as as protectors and defenders like that, those characteristics are um, are so, so beautiful, the things that men carry. And we need to stop trying to kind of mish men and women into one box mm-hmm. and recognize and celebrate how they're different. Well, and it makes me feel bad, too, for the parents out there, because how do you control the emojis on your kid's phone. They're gonna be like, "Oh, what's what's this guy? Why yeah. why, why do we have a pregnant man?" Mm-hmm. And it just completely like they're just trying to slip little things into our everyday life to try to normalize this. Yeah, no, I think that repeatedly is a frustration I have. Is people are like, "Well, what's the big deal?" But it it forces parents to have conversations with their kids before the kids are at an age that's appropriate to have those conversations. And it's death by a thousand cuts. I mean, this is. It's so small. These emojis are, you know, a few little – they're mm-hmm. so small. But it's one of so many things. Everything kids are seeing on TV these days and on the phone and um, at school even, you know, some of these these books that, that are in the curriculum and being promoted. It's just it's really disturbing and there's really no place that's safe for 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 kids. Yeah. Well, and I think to a huge extent it does sort of feel like virtue signaling like you know they want to be able to check the box of mm-hmm. we got the pregnant man emoji so we're more woke now and we're more with the common times and like they know that this is ridiculous at the end of the day. Uh, and it's been funny cuz as I've as I've talked with some guys about this, they're all like, "Oh, I'm so using that like after I drink beer or Yeah, it's yeah, it looks like, like a beer belly. Yeah. <laughs> 
or like you went to Chipotle or something. Yeah, like a bunch of tacos in yeah. there. Yeah, like it's going to be the, – the emoji is going to be so abused just by guys that think it's hilarious after they've eaten a big meal to send it to all their friends. Like, <laughs> oh, what a world we live in. Well, speaking of food babies, stay tuned because our next story is a small – restaurant owner who's risking everything to stand up for his rights to serve everyone regardless of vaccine status. So here at The Daily Signal, we've been covering a really sad beat, and that is restaurant owners who have been really harmed by this new law that Muriel Bowser put in place on January 15th that requires restaurants and small businesses and um, gyms here in D.C. to check vaccine status before a person can sit down and eat at a restaurant. So it doesn't apply. You can go in, you can get takeout, you can use restrooms, you can be in and out. But if you're going to sit down and and stay at the establishment, you're going to have to show that you have either a negative COVID test within the past 24 hours or a vaccine card. And unfortunately, I think it's really sad. Most restaurants here in D.C. are just like, whatever, we'll just do it. Mm -hmm. There's been a couple who stood up. We did a great piece with Noe Landini. He owns Junction here in Washington, D.C. And he talked about like he's complying, but it's it's really hard in his business. He's losing business. And a common theme for all these business owners is they're like, we've been trying our best since March of 2020 to do whatever we can to keep people safe. Mm -hmm. But now the science is catching up. We're, We're not doing anything to keep people safe. We're just kind of going through these government mandates to check the box. So as part of this coverage, we went to a restaurant here in Northeast D.C. called Big Board, and that's owned by a man named Eric Blannery. Eric is not a conservative in any sense. He's a Navy veteran, and he from day one was like, I'm not going to take part in this mandate, which really put a target on his back. And and it's really disgusting to see a lot of D.C.-based Twitter accounts really kind of Aiming the target, aiming towards the target, the alcohol board should go towards him. Um, and last night we showed up. We were going to cover um, a video with Senator Rand Paul and other congressmen, which we do, and we'll talk about it in a little bit. But we got there, and Eric comes up to us. He's like, oh, well, the health department's here. And we're like, okay, cool. We just figured the health department's there. Yeah. And then so the people left, and Eric comes up to us, and he goes, go see the sign they put on the door. And they put a closure sign on his door. Mm. And um, – so it, it's just it, – it's really hard to cover this because part of it is it's fun and it's exciting. It's people standing up and, and they're having fun and they're eating at restaurants. But then also um, just to watch this man, I mean, he was shaking. He was crying. He was doing what he thought was right. So I want to ask you guys kind of – we've gone through the chemical abortion stuff. We went through the pregnant man emoji stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's good to kind of talk about all these in one context because the FDA is here saying, okay, we can mail you pills to have an abortion in your own bathroom – but you can't go eat a hamburger and have a beer without showing a Vax card. So what are, what's y'all's take on this subject? Makes me angry, first <laughs> off. Like, the hypocrisy is, like, it's just too rich. Like, really? Okay. And and in the process, you end up destroying people's lives mm-hmm. and livelihoods. And, I mean, that that's really what this comes down to is because an individual, Eric, who owns the Big Board Restaurant in Washington, D.C., said, I'm not going to discriminate against people who have chosen that they don't want to get the vaccine. I'm going to let them come in and sit down and eat at my restaurant because he made that decision, he's probably going to lose his business. That's insane. And that certainly doesn't feel like the America that I know and love. Yeah. I, you know, the Susan B. Anthony List office for many years was in downtown D.C. And this is such a vibrant 
city mm-hmm. in better times. It's such a beautiful place to live and to work, so walkable. I, I've always loved the feeling of, of Washington. You know, we don't have skyscrapers. Like, every side of the street is sunny. And there's so many great restaurants, so many amazing little coffee shops. Like, it's it's a beautiful place to come and visit. And to see these – I was I saw the Daily Signal video that you guys put together. And this guy, Eric, he came from the Pacific Northwest, I guess it mm-hmm. was. I mean, uh, he's a, a veteran, served our country, and is – contributing to the economic vitality of our nation's capital and this is his reward you know it's 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 so so disheartening to have elected leaders in the nation's capital Mario Bowser to be crushing small businesses mm-hmm. and uh you know i i know this place, Big Board, has been popular with people on both sides of the aisle. You know what I mean? Like, it it reminds me of an earlier time that I, you know, heard of in Washington. You know, you'd have political consultants from uh, opposing campaigns be friendly with each other and meeting. And I love that he's not really political, or at least not conservative. He just wants to serve people good food and beer. And we we need that right now. And that the fact that it that the the mayor, you know, she put that mandate in like right at the beginning of DC Restaurant Week, which really <laughs> frustrated me because I love getting out and exploring new restaurants in the city. Explore locally. That's like my little. That's my jam. <laughs> that's my. Uh, that's our family motto. But you can't do that. You know, like we can't do that right now because of this crushing mandate. And it's really it's just upsetting. I I hope I supported the um, GoFundMe. And I was looking forward to um, getting some burgers there, but I guess we'll just have to keep supporting that GoFundMe. Yeah, we we don't know. It could be closed today. Sometimes it takes a little while for the city to get their paperwork done. Um, so it's when they slap that closure notice, they don't have to close that second. It's it just kind of starts the process of of closure. Um, and and it's really too for those who aren't familiar with the kind of DMV region. So DC is a, a fairly small land mass. And then directly north is Maryland and directly south is Virginia. So there are restaurants within, I mean, you could literally go for a casual jog from Big Board to Virginia, probably be about three miles, and you could go and sit down in a restaurant, not even have to wear a mask, Mm -hmm. no problem. And so the the mayor of D.C. is punishing this man for for what? For for just violating some For having a restaurant in the wrong location. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, and Eric, I asked him one day. Um, we've we've been in and out there a couple of times. Give <laughs> you eating so many hamburgers, which is such a great thing, but um, probably not for my waistline. But I was like, Eric, you're shutting down. Like, what can I, can we do? Like, do you want me to continue to ask staff to come up here until you know you guys are shut down? Like, how can we support you? And he goes, No, I only want people who want to come here to eat my burgers because I think the food is what, like, talks for itself. And I think that just really shows kind of his motivation here. He really never wanted this to be about him or be about Big Board. But he was like, when you see tyranny, somebody has to stand up. And it it fell on him to stand up. Yeah. And I really applaud him for doing so. And it's not like he hasn't um, abided by so many of the other COVID-19, you know, safeguards, protocols, 
whatever throughout the pandemic he you know he did everything right throughout you know mm-hmm. he had people coming in and, and wearing masks and they did the social distancing they did all they had of to that. take out bar stools for some reason to mm-hmm. save us from covid yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just to keep everyone safe. Mean, you can't sit on a stool yeah. <laughs> also like we've all had covid <laughs> hasn't everybody i mean we we're still not, going to amazing <laughs> it's just amazing i mean you know it just, just doesn't make sense. Yeah. But Lauren, I know you were there just last night. You you saw the situation. You saw what went down. You spoke with Eric. Um, share a little bit more just about what that was like actually seeing how emotional he was after he just learned my restaurant's getting shut down. Yeah. So for a, a long time, he really didn't want to get political. He just wanted to say, I'm standing up. I'm not. But it's not like a conservative left or right thing. But really, after he lost his liquor license and then he was facing closure, I think he was like, OK, enough's enough. I got to speak out. So uh, there was a bunch of congressmen, uh, Senator Rand Paul, Thomas Massey, Representative Sparts, um, Tim Burchett from Tennessee. They all showed up and they just really wanted to show their support and, and be there. And so last night we got to go and it was really powerful to see Senator Paul introduced him. And then Eric just stood up and said, you know, I... Didn't even know I wanted to start a business in D.C. I just I was a guy from Washington, but my brother wanted me to do it. And it's it's really become my home. And these people have become my family and we help each other and we've tried and we've tried and we've tried. But I don't believe in what the D.C. government is doing. I don't want to turn away somebody for their vaccination status, just like I wouldn't turn away somebody for their sexuality or anything like that. So it was really powerful. And and at the end, he broke down crying. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we just we sat and we wanted to file the piece. We sat up there and just continued to talk to him and the staff. And it's just, it's really heartbreaking to see kind of these bad government policies in front of you and, you know, trying to be that observer and as as much as possible kind of when we're reporting, I I try to keep my emotions and, and opinions out of it just so we can make sure the viewer gets kind of the purest form of it. But it's just, there's a human element that just kind of, we left just with a pit in our stomach of like, oh, yeah. Like this guy is doing nothing wrong and he could lose. And he told us kind of his margins and he told us everything he's gone through over with the PPP loans. And just he's fought so hard for the past couple of years to keep his business open just to be a meeting spot in a place where people can come together. You think about it. Why do we need restaurant bars? Like you can make food at home. We don't really need a drink, but it's such a important part of our humanity. You see they have bars and ancient civilizations in Rome. And it's not like, okay, we need to get together to get hammered. It's more like people need to have that social interaction Mm -hmm. with each other. Mm -hmm. It's important for you and your colleagues every once in a while to go out and bond like that. Or it's important for you and your girlfriends to go out and bond like that. Uh, One reason why Big Board is is it's the first place where we all met up after Brie died as as a group. Mm -hmm. And just thinking through, like, it's just such an important that is important. It, bars and restaurants are a poor place for people to gather and, and that people want to have these places and keep them open and serve good food. It really is a noble profession. Yes. So. All right. Now stay tuned because up next we crown our Problematic Woman of the Week. Virginia Allen here. I want to tell you about the most popular resource on the Heritage Foundation website, the Guide to the Constitution. More than 100 scholars have contributed to create a unique line-by-line analysis of our Constitution. The guide is intended to provide a brief and accurate explanation of each clause of the Constitution as envisioned by the framers and as applied in contemporary law. There has never been a more important time to have an understanding of our founding document. 
So if you want to learn more about the Constitution, go ahead and visit heritage.org constitution or simply search for Heritage Guide to the Constitution. Well, it's that time once again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to Mallory Carroll. Wow. What? <laughs> yeah. I don't think anybody's ever been so surprised. I know. Like, I wish everyone could see your face right now. <laughs> I was like, who's it going to be? <laughs> oh, hey, yo. So, so problematic. Mallory, so bad. you work so hard for the Susan B. Anthony list, and you're just such a great friend. And we just want to take a minute to celebrate you. And recently married, it's just. It's nice to have you here. So problematic, I changed my last name. I know. <laughs> it's so old school. Yeah, I'm... Uh, thank you, ladies. I really appreciate that. But honestly, like, it's such an honor to come on to this podcast and talk to bright, smart, engaged women in their community and in the world. And I really appreciate everything you're doing. And I'm really moved, Lauren, by what you've been saying about um, Eric and the big board and, like, the nobility of... Mm creating a space for community gatherings and things like this. And that is the whole, the crux of COVID and the pandemic and the shutdowns. Mm. It's been dividing us from one another. And I, I think about the friends that I've had that have disagreed with me on abortion, disagree with me on all sorts of things, you know, that I used to have more opportunities to spend time with them face to face. And we've got to just persevere towards that because when we can connect, like looking at each other, and that's when problems can be resolved. You know, so I'm I'm a problematic woman looking to resolve <laughs> problems face to face over good beer and a burger. I love that, and I would challenge all of our listeners this week: reach out to a friend, maybe one that you talk to all the time, or one that you never talk to. Invite them to coffee, or to get a drink, or just to get a quick bite, and and sit down and just talk and connect. So, Mallory, thank you again for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks. And with that, that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us on Tuesday for an interview edition. And then again, of course, next Thursday for a brand new edition of Problematic Women. And in the meantime, if you have not ever subscribed to the show, do it now. Conservatives need your support in the podcast space. And we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. It really does make a difference. Have a great week. We'll see you Tuesday. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.